Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Hope everyone's having a good Saturday morning. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here. And Ian, normally this would be the time where we're gearing up for football season. We're getting into the positional groups and, you know, really deep diving. But obviously we're not going to do that now because to me, it seems like college football is on life support. I mean, is that is that any kind of overreaction or over overstatement or is that accurate no you're absolutely correct Gil I mean two of the five power conferences are have already canceled their seasons there's no way that I can see people moving forward through this the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 just not looking at what the Big 10 and Pac-12 are doing it's it's just a shame because man I was ready to get into some Syracuse football this fall I was excited about the new offense, the new defense, everything that Tommy DeVito could actually bring with a solid offensive line. But you're right, it doesn't look like that's where we're going. Well, let's, t- let's take a look at what happened with the Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten. And it seemed like the Pac-12 just kind of followed the Big Ten's lead. But it, it seems like what ended up happening, and, and the reason the Big Ten basically nixed the season and it's still unclear if it's going to be canceled or if they're going to play in the spring. But let's be honest, guys. If you talk to most football people, they'll tell you, you can't have a season in the spring because then you can't play the next fall. You can't have two seasons in that short time span. But it seems well, like what happened is the Big Ten went to the doctors and they got all the information from the doctors. And the doctors said, look, this is the deal with COVID-19 and um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but this uh, basically this heart condition that happens in some cases, even when young people uh, get the virus, they went from the doctors to the lawyers and they, they told their lawyers, OK, this is what we have from the doctors. Now you tell us what we can do with that. And the lawyer said, there's a lot of risk here. You could get litigated. Um, and that's when the Big Ten said, okay, well, we can't have a season. Yeah, the heart condition, we've seen it in a a baseball pitcher as well. Multiple people have come down with heart issues, and exactly, the Big Ten does not want to be liable for anybody uh, having some sort of heart condition or, you know, even dying on the field if that's what it comes to. There's no way I'd want to see that in any scenario, even if we do get football back. So, I, it's it's a really tough ask for me to say good on the Big Ten, but honestly, if they're set in their decision, which it most certainly seems like they are, good for them. They went ahead and made the safest choice for the conference. Is it the safest choice for the student-athletes, though, Gil? That's, that's still what I've been wondering day after day. Yeah, I think you're kind of getting into the, the Trevor Lawrence um, argument, and uh, we'll go there. I want to get there, but first... Just to kind of hammer home exactly what the science is saying, uh, Dr. Brian Hainline, who's the NCAA's chief medical officer, said one to two percent of athletes at NCAA schools who have been te- who have tested positive for COVID-19 
Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Um, one to two percent of athletes have tested positive, period. Of those, he said there's about a dozen cases of a condition called myocarditis or myocarditis, which is a viral triggered heart condition, uh, which can pose a risk for sudden cardiac arrest and death. So, Ian, while, while you might use the kind of language like, OK, the Big Ten is making the safest decision, I, I respect that. And I'm not going to be so cynical to say that they don't have the student athletes at heart. But really, I the, the only reason why you might try to play in the first place is because of money. And I think what happened here is their lawyers said, well, you might be able to make money on the front end, but you might lose it on the back end because someone's going to sue you. And uh, I, I think that's what happened here. When it comes to the Trevor Lawrence um, argument, and he's been really vocal, he's basically saying, if, if we have a football season, we're going to do our due diligence. We're going to make do everything we possibly can to not get the virus because we want to play football. And if there's no football season, we might loosen up a bit. And that's where student athletes might be less safe. Uh, there's a million holes in in my opinion in that argument, but I'll I'll let you have a crack at it. Does that resonate with you? A little bit. Just to read Trevor Lawrence's tweet so we don't misquote the Clemson quarterback. He said players will be sent home to their own communities where social distancing is highly unlikely and medical care and expenses will be placed on the families. So there, I mean, that's a pretty valid argument. College campuses are, especially for athletes, probably some of the safest. I mean, maybe not for normal students. We'll wait and see how that goes. But in terms of athletes, there are great doctors there. There are certainly people that are there to help the athletes stay safe and stay healthy. Athletes will get looked out for more than the normal student. Um, Lawrence's second tweet says, not to mention that players coming from situations that aren't great for them or their future might have to go back there. Football is a safe haven for so many people. We are more likely to get the virus in everyday life than playing football. Having a season also incentivizes players being safe, as you said, Gil, and taking the right precautions. Well, first of all, he's he's wrong about the blanket statement, you're more likely to get it in everyday life versus playing football. I mean, if you've ever... Yeah. We all know what a football game looks like, and especially I think the best example is the offensive line lining up right in front of the defensive line. Like, to me, that is just almost automatic viral transmission <laughs> if someone has it like if you line up across from someone and and you do so 15 20 times in one game and what what's the distance about about two feet between your face mask and their face mask there's probably maybe six inches between your hand and the other man's hand so yeah not yeah. much space at all lawrence can say Football is less risky than everyday life. Yeah, the, if you're going to frat parties, that's true. If you're not, it's not true. And here's the big problem with what he's trying to argue. How, you know, there's, um, and there is a little bit of truth to it. But to say we need to in incentivize young people with football in order for them to be responsible is absurd. And there's a big difference between so-and-so football player gets COVID-19 because of a sanctioned NCAA football game 
which could start an outbreak on said player's campus because that's how this virus works. It takes one and it spreads. That's the whole point. That's why it's dangerous, right? There's a big difference between that and football player X gets COVID-19 because he went to a frat party. If you think that A is equal to B, you're insane. A is a lot worse than B because A was a sanctioned event by higher-ups with the interest of of obviously, and I'm not going to discount the importance of college football. It, it's very important. But B wasn't supposed to happen in the first place. and And a football game, which is organized by officials and adults who are supposed to make the best decisions, um, is, is very different. Absolutely. And Gil, I think we really have to put the blame for college football, not the virus itself, but in terms of having such a crazy last two weeks in terms of the college football season, we have to put the blame on those higher-ups. Because people waited all summer to develop a plan. And I understand there's a lot up in the air with this virus, right? We don't really know how much it's going to spread. Is there going to be a second wave? You can throw all the possibilities out there, but that still doesn't discount the fact that they had probably three to four months to put a plan in place. And we only saw schedules get re-released two weeks ago the big 10 put out a schedule a week before it canceled the college football season for those teams so yeah i think we we really have to point to those people in the higher levels of the acc even the ncaa itself and say guys you have to be accountable for this because even though the virus is still spreading we can we can talk about the credibility of the u.s shutdown uh, I guess another day, but as of right now, if we're going to have college football, the people up top have to start making decisions, putting their foot down and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and if we do these things correctly, it's going to work, because there is no clarity on what any conference is doing right now. They're just saying, okay, we're going to have football, and we're crossing our fingers. Well, you're bringing up the organizational mess that is the NCAA. It is not designed to handle something like this. The NCAA isn't designed to make quick decisions about anything because you have no leader. You have too many cooks in the kitchen. You have a bunch of conferences with individual interests, athletic programs with with individual interests. Syracuse fans should know about this because of what happened with the Big East and some schools wanting to play football, other schools not caring about football, and, and you get them all in a boardroom and, and you're trying to make a decision, you can't make a decision because there's no leader and you have a bunch of different individual interests. So we've known for a very long time that college athletics is not a very effective governing body, and this is a situation where they need to be a, an effective governing body, and they can't be, which brings us to back to the ACC. What and, and what does the Big Ten and the Pac-12's postponement slash cancellations mean for the ACC? And I worry that the Big Ten is just ahead of what the ACC and the, and the SEC um, and the Big 12 will eventually need to do. Because eventually they're going to need to get the season 
cleared by their doctors and cleared by their lawyers. And just because they haven't been denied yet doesn't mean they're not going to be denied a week from now or two weeks from now. And it's scary that doctors are saying different things. The Big Ten doctors are like, okay, you can't play. But the ACC and Big 12 SEC doctors are just like, yeah, it's okay, guys. You can keep going. I don't know. And I don't I don't think that's true. I'm not, I, I I'm not sure if, if it's been... true. But even if the doctors are saying they can't keep going, the conferences sure aren't listening. So the Big Ten doctors said no. And the NCAA medical advisors basically also said no. The, uh, the NCAA's chief medical officer and its two primary infectious disease advisors say the nation's focus should be on controlling the coronavirus pandemic instead of playing fall sports, with one advisor saying, quote, we simply are not there now. So both, I guess, uh, we, haven't had, <laughs> we haven't had a governing body in the NCAA. We haven't had a conference actually go to their doctors and come out with good results. Absolutely not. And according to uh, multiple sources, one here from Yahoo Sports, the ACC did have a meeting on Thursday about playing football, and they said no news. They're going to continue to stay the course, which is pretty much what I said. They have no plan, and they're going to continue to seek medical advice. And how much of that advice are they going to take? I have no clue. Right. So it's it's a work in progress. The ACC hasn't decided. And uh, for all for all your updates on the ACC's decision making and college football's prospects for the fall, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about an angle that isn't being covered as heavily, but it's a really important one, which is college athletes trying to gain power at this time. Uh, because COVID-19 has kind of opened up the door for them to do so. You're listening to Fizz Radio. Don't go anywhere. Back on the other side. Back on Fizz Radio, Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth with you. And Ian, as I said uh, before we went to break, I feel like something that's been completely underlooked throughout this entire process is players taking power. And I know one athletic director has said off the record that that's what should be covered more heavily right now because, sure, COVID-19 is a, is a beast and it could end the college football season single-handedly. But what the players are doing right now could completely change the makeup of college sports in the long term. And what they're doing right now by by taking power is really, really significant. We've seen it with Syracuse. Practice was was set to start last Thursday. And instead of practicing the first two days, they held meetings with administrators about COVID-19 protocols. Then they skipped practice again this past week to try to lobby for, and I don't know, it hasn't been reported what specifically, but to try to lobby for better COVID-19 protocols. So the, the athletes are demanding that they're treated correctly throughout this pandemic. And they're just kind of taking a stand right now. Exactly. Just to go into what uh, the Syracuse athletes are lobbying for, Josh Black in a virtual press conference said that they feel pretty comfortable. DeVito said this as well. They feel very comfortable 
with what Syracuse is doing in terms of testing. They do want more frequent testing, but in terms of protocols, in terms of testing, the Syracuse football players like where they're at in Central New York. They like what Syracuse is doing, but they are worried about the other ACC schools. Black said they're pushing for all the AC schools to be mandated to follow safety guidelines, third-party testing, and they want everything to be as fair and as safe as it can be in the ACC. And this happened after a situation at Florida State. Uh, there, there's been a lot of stuff going on down in Tallahassee, but some FSU players spoke out uh, about school administration handling corona testing under first-year head coach Mike Norvell. So there seems to be some shady stuff going on down in Florida, and it seems like although Florida State isn't on the Syracuse schedule, uh, Syracuse wants all the ACC schools to, you know, practice the same level of safety that they're doing in Central New York. And you think about the non-conference opponent. It's oh, Liberty. Liberty, yeah. And Liberty, for, for context, is the only major school, to my knowledge, that actually sent students back to campus in, like, April when the, when the pandemic was, you know, full steam ahead, you know, really... They, I mean, Liberty is basically the the poster school for not caring about COVID nineteen. So that's a that's a difficult look, and I understand why Syracuse players might be concerned about about that. Other ACC schools, sure, but you're you know it's it's part of this larger theme. And you mentioned Florida State and other another ACC schools where, you know players are speaking out against the program and you see that in the NFL we've seen you know Antonio Brown and Terrell Owens Jamal Adams right Jamal Adams most recently good right but we don't see college players doing this we don't we haven't seen that until now um and you can throw in Trevor Lawrence with the we want to play hashtag that was kind of widely circulated among college football players last week you know it was that we want those we want to play tweets were accompanied by a graphic and one of the asks that players were making uh, is quote ultimately create a college football players association i mean that would be an unprecedented massive power grab for players and i imagine that kind of language is making school presidents and athletics directors really uncomfortable. They're quaking in their boots, Gil. We've already seen states pass laws where athletes can get paid for doing certain things that pretty much undermine the definition or the NCAA's definition of amateurism, right? That's what this whole battle has been about for the past, what, 10 to 15 years? Ever since Ed O'Bannon left UCLA, the, the word amateurism is pretty much a stain on college athletics put there by the NCAA, but it, it makes so much sense to have a player's association, a player's union, whatever the college athletes want to call it, because they would, they would go out on a field. If football is to happen, these athletes are going out on a field, risking their lives with this virus, pretty much staring them in the face, you know, going up against kids from other schools, playing these teams and they're not getting paid. They are not getting compensated for them providing the world, their schools with the revenue, the world with entertainment. They are not getting compensated. 
And if something were to happen, like say a player gets the virus, like there's it, in no way is it fair that a player can risk his life like that and not have some sort of backing. Well, they don't get a seat at the table. And that's that's what they're looking for right now. Now, we can talk about name, image, and likeness. I do think that that's relevant here because it's it's another example. It's more proof that the landscape within college athletics is is shifting. But I think when it comes to the players' association that they're suggesting, just compare it to pro sports. You know, Rob Manfred and MLB players were arguing over months about what would be fair for both the league and the players. We see that in every league. We see that in in the NHL, in the NFL, in the NBA. It's a negotiation, right? You there need are lockouts us. all the time. What'd you say? There are lockouts all the time. Right, because because the players need the leagues and the leagues need the players. But they all sit down at a table and come to an agreement. And that does not exist in college sports. It is it is a you know a dictatorship. And the players are not part of said, or maybe an oligarchy, but the players are not in the oligarchy. They have no power. So that specifically is what they're asking for here. And, you know, and I, the, I think that's only fair. It's certainly fair. The players also want some other things. They want an opportunity to opt out of the season and retain their eligibility, um, try to create some sort of communication between players and officials, but... You're right, Gil. Just the idea of safety and the idea of some sort of backing is what the college athletes want. And ultimately, it just comes down to having these protocols that are established throughout college athletics. That's the first thing, first and foremost, that athletes need if football is going to happen. It's interesting that they're realizing the power that they have now, right? Because college, you know, college athletics have existed for you know, a hundred years or more than a hundred years. And it's always been done a certain way. So I'm sure a lot of people are asking like, why is this changing now? Like what is going on right now that suddenly the athletes are realizing, wait, you need us. Like, and I think the, the threat of no college football happening has unveiled how important college football is to these universities. And that's where the players have, have come to understand, wow, we are extremely important. We have tons of power because if, if we organize and we're not on board, that's where the schools are going to need to move to, to satisfy our needs and be fair to us, right? Yeah, because college football is some of the big, it's the biggest moneymaker for a lot of schools. I mean, just look at the amount of revenue that, like, Texas is bringing in over $200 million a year in college football revenue. I don't even know if they're making that much off of their student body. Like, schools need, need, need this income to operate. So college football players have all of this power. But you're right, Gil. There's, it's really been, I would say, maybe a shift over the past couple of years like, I think players sitting out bowl games might have been the first thing where they started to realize, hey, we can, I think we have a bit more pull than we actually realize, but it's certainly, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wasn't expecting this, if we're being honest. I was not expecting players 
to come out and say the things they that they've been doing but it's it's certainly I would say a well the something that I welcome in the sport of college football because I'm tired of this debate happening and it needs to just end so college football players can get their fair share and it does feel like the kind of thing where you know if explained right I think everyone can get on board like if your gut reaction is oh why isn't a scholarship enough look this is this is a free market here like that's kind of the i think the part of the major assumption we operate under here in the united states is that everyone kind of deserves their market value and all this is is college athletes getting their market value because the ncaa the conferences the universities they all need these you know they are all profiting off of these players and the players are just saying okay you need us so we are going to exercise what we and and use what we already have which is you know a, a power to leverage the higher ups and it's the power i guess the power to not play at the end right. of the day that is their leverage sitting out is is strangely how they're going to make the biggest change. It's not getting on the field and having a crazy game, but it's letting people know that, hey, causing some, I guess, causing some trouble, this is, this is I guess, the definition of good trouble. And however many wacky roads we have to take to get to a college football union, it might just be the coronavirus that ultimately ends us up in a fairer college football landscape. We're doing a great series on orangefizz.net, counting down the top 100 greatest athletes in SU history. We're getting down to the wire, 30 through number six, and we'll talk about that group of players with Tim Leonard coming up next. Don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio. All right, we welcome in Tim Leonard here on Fizz Radio. Tim is a co-host on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Make sure to give that a listen. Uh, Tim, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be back on the Fizz Radio airwaves here. It's been a bit, right? It has been. Too long. It's uh, first time in, what, four or five months now. So good to be back. So uh, we'll get your thoughts on the SU Top 100. We're doing 30 through number six. But first... Ian and I have been talking about the prospects of a college football season, ACC football in particular. Can we get a prediction out of you? Um, so it's, it's a very fluid situation, right? I mean, I, I'm kind of, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but it's been kind of exhausting following the NCAA throughout this entire process. And I think clearly change is in order, I would say. Everyone can kind of agree on that. But i seen the news that came out on Thursday of fall championships being canceled. I think it's something that definitely adds to making it even less likely. Because if you're Syracuse, as we know it right now, as we're recording this, men's soccer, those other fall sports are still going on. Well, it's hard to really envision a world where those happen when there's no endings or no national title at the end of the road. So... I'm feeling less and less likely, but I don't expect a decision in the coming days from the ACC. I think they're going to wait it out. Yeah, it just seems like conferences like the ACC, SEC, 
Big 12. They're just trying to string this thing as, as long as they possibly can. But at the same time, if a campus shuts down, there's no way they can play football. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird time. But I don't know about you guys. It's just hard to really envision – like three main conferences playing and then a couple other sitting out or the NCAA not having any fall championships, but there being a college football playoff. Obviously this is all unprecedented and nothing really would surprise me at this point, but it's just hard to see only the ACC and the SEC and the big 12 playing when their medical experts somehow told them something different than all the other medical experts that we've heard so far that have led to them canning the season. Are you one of the uh, many media members rooting against the college football season? Oh, right. Is that- <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite take. I, <laughs> I don't know how to wrap your head around that one because obviously we of all people should be rooting for football as much as anyone because it's no fun to have talk radio shows and not have games. But, yeah, that, that take is uh, 2020 in a nutshell for you. Talking to Tim Leonard, co-host on the Syracuse Locked On podcast, uh, Tim, we've been doing the top 100. I'm sure you've seen. So I want to I wanna ask you pretty open-endedly, has there been anything that's come up and you've just been like, why is this guy ranked here? That is absurdity. Um, so I, first off, I don't envy you guys for making this list. I don't even know how you went about making it. It's been cool to follow. And – I think it's it's obviously a very, very challenging thing because how do you compare like an Emily Harris Chuck from recent players to a Tyus Battle or someone when they're playing completely different sports? I would say Wesley Johnson was a little underrated at 89. When I saw that, I was a little bit surprised. But in terms of kind of the list that we're going over today, uh, first off, I, I do have one bone to pick <laughs> with with this list. There is in the 30 to 20 range, there's three Powells. So you've got all the Powell brothers, Casey, <laughs> Mike, and Ryan Powell, which they all deserve it, all great players. But you guys have Casey at 21, Mike at 23. Could you not just fudge the rankings a little bit so that you get at least one of them at 22, considering the history of the, of the Syracuse number there in lacrosse? Well, I mean, I guess that's a – that's up to the statisticians, not necessarily right. me and Gil. We have we have fudged a couple of rankings going back and making a couple of changes just because as a staff we disagreed on some things. But yeah, out, in hindsight, at putting a lacrosse player at twenty two would be a, a pretty good coincidence. Makes sense. Something that would fit. It would certainly fit. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. Let's let's pull the curtain back though on what Ian just said. <laughs> to my knowledge, we've we've only fudged one ranking, and that is uh, Justin Knights. Well, we've, because, we've added a couple, haven't we, Gil? We added a couple yes, players yes. and removed a couple other ones when need be. That's true, because when we were originally doing the rankings, we, we were only given the option of uh, ranking a, a given set of players, and there were some players that needed to be added. Uh, right. But one person who, who we just bumped up, because we were looking at the list, and we were like, how did this happen, is, is Justin Knight. Yeah. Right, because... I, I think he could be even higher than nine, honestly, because... I mean, how many of these athletes are – to be in the Olympics, think about it that way, you're one of the best in your entire sport. And also, like, a national champion. There's not a lot of individual national champions, I don't know, in Syracuse history. You could even make a case that just because he plays a lesser-known sport, he's nine, when in reality 
in his given sport, he's done more like relative to the competition than really any other Syracuse athlete. It's, it's a really tough one though, because I mean, do people like just, it's nice to have a Syracuse athlete at number one that has a real national presence and sure in the cross country community, Justin Knight's huge. And in central New York, he's huge. He was the, I guess he was the, I guess, pseudo mascot at some of the basketball games, the talisman for the men's basketball team last year. But yeah, I mean, nationally, I'm sure if I asked some of my people back home in Michigan who Justin Knight was, they'd have no clue. So right. I, I, I somewhat see having him at nine just because he doesn't have that sort of grand national figure that some of these other names in front of him do. Well, we yeah, tried our best. We yeah. tried our best. Sorry. Absolutely. Again, it's an impossible no, that's not, That wasn't the end of my point. I wasn't just saying we tried our best. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> uh, we tried our best to not punish players for playing lesser sports. That's why, that's why we have such a vast array of different sports on the list. With that being said, it was just going to happen. It, it's inevitable. I mean, there's more football and basketball on the list than, than not. It, it's, yeah. I, I totally get that. I think – so we're, I have a question for you guys. How did you go about this? Was it – greatest athlete <laughs> oh boy here we go again we had a great conversation with tyler about this was it greatest athlete just as a whole like considering their professional career or is it just what they did at syracuse it's a it's a whole to me okay yeah i right. i agree with gil but uh tyler had jim Beheim number one i don't know if you heard us uh on oh, that boy. episode of fizz radio a couple weeks back uh, which is on the site at Orange Fizz and also on the SoundCloud. But, yeah, Tyler had Jim Beheim at number one. And yeah. Gil, Gil and him got into a nice row about that just because Jim Beheim as a Syracuse athlete wasn't all that much. No. He was, what, 74 on the list? I saw him on here somewhere. 74, right in front of Tyus Battle. Yeah, I, that's a Tyler take for sure. I agree with you guys uh, on that one, and I'll leave it at that. But, um, okay, so, like, Chandler Jones, 26 on this list, for example. I went back and looked at his stats and it's not all that great, really. Like at Syracuse, he played three seasons. He had 10 career sacks for comparison. Alton Robinson plays three seasons. He has 19 career sacks. He's, he's not sniffing this list. And I totally agree with that. But some point you had kind of have to draw the line because obviously Chandler Jones is, if we're being candid, one of the few, NFL players right now to come from Syracuse who's been very successful recently at least and he was a first round pick and he's done great things at the NFL level but like his actual numbers at Syracuse were I think he was all Big East third team one year and that's kind of his biggest accolade and he did have injuries in his senior year that hampered him from maybe getting more than 10 career sacks so at 26 I think I love Chandler Jones because I'm a Patriots fan. I think that's a little high when you're considering like Syracuse athletes because of his stats really weren't that great. Given the fact that he was a first pick. Yeah. I'm sure he's getting, you know, he's obviously getting double teamed and it's hard to put up numbers when that's happening. But I do think you bring up a good point, which is that I think for the football guys, like take a, a, a Jim Ringo. I put him really high because Syracuse has, uh, is it eight or nine players? It's either eight or nine players in the in the uh, Hall of Fame, and Jim Ringo is one of them. He, I believe... he was a he was a lineman for Vince Lombardi's Packers. He won multiple Super Bowls. 
you know, he was this great player. So I put him high. I also put Chandler Jones high. Whereas I feel like for basketball, where there's kind of more weight on winning, for example, that's where you see a guy like Jerry McNamara rank really high. Yeah. And I don't think football had that same, and McNamara is 19 on our list. I don't think football had that same kind of um, measuring kind of scoring system. I mean, also, you got to look at it as like GMAC had that, you know, the national championship, which is probably the biggest right. moment in Syracuse history. Uh, Jaron May and I talked about Hakeem Warwick at 37, and he said, Jaron said he'd rank Hakeem Warwick above Billy Owens, who was a great all around player, but Hakeem Warwick had the block, right? And that block might be the single most important play in Syracuse basketball history. So having that huge accomplishment, I think, helps a lot in the basketball versus football sense. Yeah, and that's another thing with Chandler Jones is his teams from 2009 to 2011 weren't all that great. I know he didn't make a bowl his senior year, and part of that was probably because he got injured. But I'm more inclined, like you guys did, to give a little bit more of a nod to maybe a Donovan McNabb, Don McPherson, Marvin Harrison even, who, by the way, this is kind of a sidebar, but Marvin Harrison, I feel like that kind of goes under the radar that he played at Syracuse. I I don't know about you guys, but I feel like my friends that don't go to Syracuse or just NFL fans in general that don't follow Syracuse don't even know that one. And maybe it's because for some reason, like Donovan McNabb has been more linked to Syracuse after the fact or Chandler Jones, you see his videos more linked to like Syracuse on Twitter and stuff. I feel like they, they don't do maybe as good enough job with Marvin Harrison of selling that. I don't know why. I just feel like that goes under the radar because he's an incredible wide receiver. We, we should be selling that more as a program. I totally agree with you. That's a big miss. I mean, we got to get on that. Now, <laughs> it's a little late. It's a little late, yeah. Tim. It is I a mean, little Marvin Harrison pumping up, but I, I agree with you. He's also had a couple incidents off the field that aren't so great after he retired from the NFL. But I agree with you, Tim. When I think Marvin Harrison, the first thing I think of is Peyton Manning. So yeah. I, I totally get that connection. Can I bring yeah. this full circle? Yeah, of course. So we, we start, talked about Justin Knight very early on. Individual national champion. That's incredible. That means you're the best at your sport. What if I told you, it's like a 30 for 30. Yeah. What if I told you <laughs> that the player ranked number 30 was an individual national champion and an NFL player, Jim Nance. This is the kind of thing, and this was the most fun thing. You broadcast for CBS too? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Carry on. That went over your head for a sec. <laughs> I hesitated. That man is a heavyweight champion when Syracuse had a wrestling team. Heavyweight champion. National wow. champion. And he was also a great fullback paving the way for your Larry Zonkas of the world. That man was first. So I'm just saying very under the radar. Now, look, I don't know where I ranked him. I don't remember. So this could be my fault for all we know. But Jim Nance, based on the Justin Knight um, kind of way of thinking, yeah. is way too low. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of this list. I heard Drew joking about Bill Smith. I saw that and, and his name. That That's another example of a player that, played well before a lot of people that are still living maybe or, or still listening to this. And it's like, if you actually go back and look at his stats, it was pretty darn impressive. And sometimes I think you got to give a little bit more credit to the Tim Greens and Don McPherson's because they sort of paved the way for what Syracuse football became when 
Donovan McNabb came there. Maybe he doesn't go there if it's not for John McPherson or a player like that. Pearl Washington. Yeah, another another big one for sure. He was 11 on this list, which I think is pretty fairly rated. I, I really think you guys did a, a good job overall. I'm excited to see what the top six is because obviously there's a couple different ways you can go with that, but I think you did a good job. I mean, it is football, basketball heavy, but I think anyone would have done that. Yeah, th- thank you, Tim. We, we appreciate that. Certainly. And we appreciate you coming on here on Fizz Radio. It was great to be back, even if it was for a little bit. But thanks, guys. That's Tim Leonard, Locked On Syracuse pro- podcast. Fizz feedback after this. We're taking you home on Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. It's time for Fizz Feedback, trying to recover from the uh, Tim Leonard interview. Always uh, always good laughs when uh, when we have him on Fizz Radio. Uh, but Ian, some, some heavy-hitting, hard-hitting Fizz Feedback questions that I'm ready to uh, field. All right, so we had two football-related ones and then one basketball story, which we can get to quickly at the end. But first and foremost, Gil... Our first poll for Fizz Feedback, will ACC football happen? Yes or no? So, I'm going to say the fans voted, I, I, I would say the fans vote no. And you are actually incorrect. I think this is the first time either one of us has missed on a Fizz Feedback in a while, but 56.7% <laughs> of Orange Nation said that football will be happening for the ACC in the fall of 2020. But the okay. question, the real question here is, should it happen? And that was our second Fizz Feedback poll. Should ACC football happen? Yes or no? So they think it will happen. Yes. So I'm going to say they also think it should happen. So I'm going to say Fizz Nation voted yes on this. And, Gil, you're 0 for 2. 54.2% of Orange Nation said no. ACC football should not happen. And I I honestly have It's a tough one, but I might have to agree with them on that one. uh, Man, that's tough. Okay, but getting to this basketball story, right? Recently, Alan Griffin received some interest from Indiana. Uh, as they lost, Indiana lost one of its top assistants to Kentucky, and Alan Griffin received some calls from Archie Miller saying that there is a job open, we might watch you, you know, etc., etc. But Alan Griffin recently said on Thursday that he is staying in Syracuse as part of Jim Beheim's staff. Uh, so, Gil, the third Fizz Feedback poll is about Syracuse basketball and asking who is your favorite Syracuse assistant coach? Adrian Autry, Alan Griffin, or Jerry McNamara? I don't think I'm going 0 for 3. I, I think I'm pretty confident that Fizz Nation selected GMAC for this question. And you would be correct. 65% of Syracuse basketball fans said that GMAC, the former Orange Guard, is their favorite Syracuse basketball assistant coach. Gil, you're 1 for 3. I think that gets you in the Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> now, who won, Autry or, or Griffin? Who got more votes? Autry received 28.7%, and Griffin only got 6.3%. So maybe that job at Indiana is looking a <laughs> bit more nice. Uh, 
That's interesting. Wow, Fizz Nation, though, surprising me on the college football questions. Uh, so, you know, hey, we'll, uh, we'll do better next week. Ian, this has been fun. Remember, everyone, follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz and catch our Top 100 series right now up on orangefizz.net. Have a good rest of your Saturday. This has been Fizz Radio.